0: We now have the pieces we need to peer into the world in which Christians have journeyed, to peer into their beliefs, their experiences, and their God. In the past episodes, we have explored and re-examined what is meant by God, what it means to say that God speaks, what it means to hear God, and what it means to miss the mark which distorts one's very relation to reality. These will in turn enable us to perceive and comprehend what we will be seeing once we set out to retrace the journey that Christianity has taken. And our journey will take us first through the Bible. But what is the Bible? Because there is something remarkably strange about this book that Christians regard as a primary way in which God speaks personally to them. Because though it is read as God's divine message, the Bible is remarkably human. Much of its content is about and is told by people like us, frail, fallible, and often lost as they grapple with what or who they have come to call God. And this is intentional, because for Christianity, this is what it means to truly come to know God. Welcome to What Do You Mean God Speaks, where we explore important ideas, insights, and stories in Christianity. For the skeptics who want to understand religious perspectives, to the Christians who have questions about their own beliefs, and everyone in between. I am Paul seung and this is our 12th and closing episode of the first season. The Bible is a map. In what ways the Bible is and is not the Word of God. Christians consider the Bible as the Word of God. In communal worship settings where the Bible is read, the reading is often closed with the words, This is the Word of the Lord. But what does it mean to say that the Bible is the Word of God? This, by the way, is the more fundamental question about the Bible than the ones like whether the Bible has errors. That question arose because what God speaks must be true, And so presumably, the Bible, as the word of God, cannot have errors. However, what an error is depends on what truth one is trying to communicate. Say, when Neil Armstrong stepped off the moon lander and planted his feet on the lunar surface on July 20, 1969, he said, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, was that statement an error? Since, collectively speaking, we humans as species have leapt higher, longer, and from greater distances, while Armstrong's was more like, well, a tiny hop. But it's obvious to us that that was not what he was saying. That wasn't the truth he was communicating. So, what is the truth that the Bible is communicating as the Word of God? And it turns out that what Christianity means by saying that the Bible is the Word of God is something very specific, even if not clearly and extensively articulated. After all, in Christianity, the phrase, the Word of God, or the affirmation that God speaks, refers to much, much more than just the Bible. For Christianity, the Word of God is the unfolding of all of history the history of the universe, life, humanity, or our own lives, because God, the infinite reality, unfolds history like an author telling a story. And that is why, for example, God declares to the prophet Isaiah that what he says always comes to pass. The Word of God is thus also the Logos, the rational principle underlying everything that happens and how everything comes to be, the principle upon which our very notion of science is founded, and it is this Logos, the divine word, through which God created all things. Consequently, the Word of God is also all of truth. It encompasses every truth and every good we can ever come to know, whether through insight, inspiration, inquiry, investigation, or an inner voice. The Word of God is also what God speaks personally to us, as a prophetic message or a vision or a prompting in our innermost self or deeply meaningful personal events or a profound teaching or even a rebuke from other people. And the Christian Gospel declares that the Word of God, the Logos, fully became a human being in a particular individual, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in turn, restored humanity's relationship to God so that the Word of God, every truth and goodness, may likewise dwell in all of us. So, in all of this, where does the Bible fit? Those who don't understand Christianity, including many Christians themselves, misunderstand why the Bible is important. They get it backwards. By this I mean, people often get into these dichotomies where knowing God through the Bible is pitted against knowing God or reality through other means such as personal experiences, meditation, communing with nature, or even philosophical or scientific inquiry. On the one end of the spectrum, some Christians seem to reject everything in the latter list, leaving the Bible as the only way of knowing what God says. On the other end are the people who reject that Bible is the word of God, that this old book about dead people cannot tell us anything today about ultimate truths. Then there are those in the middle wanting to hold on to both. However, this entire spectrum misses why Christianity actually needs the Bible. Christianity needs the Bible not simply to know what God says, but more to know what God does not say. Perhaps that was a bit too provocative way of putting it. What I'm pointing out is that if we carefully consider what was meant by the phrase the Word of God, which is a long list of which we've just summed up a couple of minutes ago, it should become clear that the problem is not about where we can go to know God or hear, for lack of better words, God speak. God is reality, and everything and every happening is a word of God unfolding all of history. And if so, everything, literally everything, is in a sense God saying something. So our problem is, which of the everything, every happening, every experience, every thought, is God speaking to us? Which of the everything we experience or think about is true? And which of those truths is meaningful for us? And which of that is untainted from distortion or self-deception that we tend to put on those things? And how do we know? What kind of person do we need to be to know? Let's say some religious leaders, well known for their moral compromise and hypocrisy, were being investigated for some great wrongs they committed in the past. Now they successfully cover up their tracks and even bring a legal case against their accusers. Then they may say to themselves, God protects those who represent him. Is that what God is saying though through what happened? Is their success God saying that they get a free pass? Then let's say one of them suddenly gets deathly ill. And people start whispering, God is punishing them. Is that what God is saying through that illness? Everything is God unfolding something. But the question is, what is God saying to us at any given time? And perhaps more importantly, what is God not saying? 2,800 years ago, the northern kingdom of Israel, who called themselves a people of God, were at the height of their power. Under their king, Jeroboam II, their mighty armies subjugated their neighboring nations, their royal coffers were filled to the brim with wealth, and their cities and palaces were marvels of artistic and architectural feats. Surely God was saying through their successes that they were favored. After all, they had given a great many offerings to the temples, and they were the chosen people of God. Then a prophet named Amos spoke up. Your wealth came from your exploitation of the poor, and you wield your power to oppress the vulnerable. Your worship of God is tainted with the worship of idols that let you do this. God did let you climb high, but you do not have His approval nor favor. God will bring you down one day along with your injustices and your deceit. This message is recorded in the book of Amos in the Bible. However, Amaziah, the head priest of Israel at that time, denounced him as a troublemaker and a liar and had him driven out of the country. So, what was God truly saying to Israel? A blessing? Or a warning of coming judgment? Jeroboam's dynasty fell after a few generations, and the kingdom of Israel was eventually destroyed and sent to exile. So it turned out that Amos was the one who spoke the truth. The Christian idea of the Bible is not that the Bible is simply the record of what God spoke, let alone the only place where God speaks. Rather, the Bible is a map to what God says. Map is the analogy that I use, but I think it's the appropriate one. A map, by the way, doesn't show everything. In fact, a map is very selective in what it represents. Hence, it may show topography, or state boundaries, or roads and cities, but not others. What the map shows depends on the map's purpose, which is to guide us through the place depicted on the map. Without the map, we can become lost as we journey across the very world that is drawn on the map. So God is reality, infinite and all around us, and every truth is God speaking. But the Bible is a map that guides us, so that we do not get lost in the infinity of the divine speech that composed literally everything that ever happens. So we can discern when God may be speaking personally to us, what God is saying, as well as what God would not say and why. It teaches, corrects, and coaches us to hear what is true without distortion or deceit from our part. It is a map to encounter, establish, and maintain a personal, ongoing relationship with God who speaks to us. But what is remarkable, though, is how the Bible draws this map. As holy books go, the Bible is a rather strange book. It's a hodgepodge of stories, chronicles, reflections, poems, prayers, prophecies, dialogues, biographies, letters, and treatises, and it is composed by numerous authors from widely different backgrounds living over a span of over a thousand years. Nearly all of its content, except for say, the account of God creating the world, It's about people, about particular individuals, communities, or nations on how they lived, what they thought, and what they did. Much of the Bible is simply the stories of such people, rather than say record of some teachings or a discourse. And rather than limiting the stories to the telling of a single or even a handful of exemplary individuals, the Bible runs a gamut of heroes, villains, failures, and mediocrities, and at times, the same person can become all of those at one time or another. And a surprisingly large number of these stories do not provide a clear lesson or a message, leaving the readers puzzling over what the moral or spiritual teaching was, or whether there even was one. Then there are the poems or prayers in the Bible that seem to be just pure lament or even outright complaints or protests toward God. Even when the reader is presented with more definitive teachings from, say, the prophets, or in the case of the New Testament, the sermons of Jesus or the letters of the apostles, the Bible specifies the particular context in which they were given— when the prophecy was given, or the sermon was preached, or the letter was written, and by whom, and to whom, what was going on at the time, and what specific issues or concerns that the prophecy, or the sermon, or the letter was primarily addressing. Of course, scholars can also discern such contexts in the texts and teachings of other religions and philosophies. But the Bible seems to go out of its way each time to explicitly provide these contexts, If not right then and there, then elsewhere. As if to emphasize that real people, people like you and I, but just living in a different time and place, went through these things. And they reacted like real people, sometimes inspiringly, sometimes with wisdom, but sometimes with pettiness, spitefulness, and deceit. And this is how they heard God, struggled over what they heard, wondered whether it was true, talked and even argued among themselves, then followed through, or rejected, or distorted, or lied on the truth that was being spoken to them. Then, this or that happened. And over a thousand years, each generation added to what the previous generation experienced. So long ago, they encountered a deity. They listened to that voice they believed told the truth. They lived it out, or failed living it out. They sang and prayed, complained and protested. They wrestled with how to live in a right relation to reality, to the world, to other people, and to themselves. They cheated and betrayed and lost They changed their ways, renewed their vows, relearned what they forgot, expanded on what they learned. They revised their understanding of the deity that their ancestors encountered. They expanded their view of reality. They employed metaphors and analogies, where simple descriptions failed them. They used imagination and imagery to grasp what they could otherwise not understand. Their view of what God means transformed so greatly that their God eventually was no longer a God. The Bible is the story of those people. And all this leads us to why the Bible sometimes poses some barriers to modern people. Now, you may have heard some debate in the past, say between the creationists and the atheists, about whether the Bible presents a scientific account of our world, but some wiser individuals would point out that the entire debate is misguided since science as we know it did not even exist until about three to 400 years ago. The book of Genesis in the Bible is an ancient Hebrew text, and much of their view of the world matched the other Middle Eastern civilizations of their time. Likewise, when the Old Testament accounts of wars, violence, and harsh judicial justice shock modern readers, The biblical scholars caution that we should not unthinkingly apply our modern ethical sensibilities to the Bronze and Iron Age culture of the people in the Bible. And in both cases, they are correct, but not correct enough. Now, we can ask why God did not teach modern scientific knowledge or ethical standards to the ancient Hebrews who wrote the Old Testament. After all, we could say, God is the infinite reality who speaks personally to people and every truth is God speaking and so on. But leaving aside our rather overconfident assumption that the final ultimate truth about the universe or morality will be anywhere close to our modern views, we should ask if that kind of truth is what the Bible is trying to teach us. Suppose that such scientific or ethical truths were revealed to the people in the Bible living in a bronze to iron age civilization. Would they have been able to even comprehend them, let alone live by them? We are talking about a people that, according to Jesus, a thousand years later, God had to set out a legal procedure for dismissing their wives from their homes because they couldn't handle the idea that they weren't allowed to dismiss them at all. The Bible is written for real people living in a real society with real limitations and failings. So demanding that the Bible, which was written by and for ancient Hebrews and the first century Christians to somehow display modern scientific truths or ethical norms is like demanding that the explorers who sailed around the world for the first time in history to have done so on a nuclear power submarine. The people you are asking for are not real. And of course, you'd completely be missing the point of learning about those first explorers. This is why the Bible needs to be a text of ancient Hebrews and the first century Christians, with their limited knowledge about the world, the cosmos, and beyond, and holding their ethical standards that we may now find strange or archaic it needs to be a text from such people who lived among the Middle Eastern and Mediterranean civilizations. Because that's what makes them a real people who lived in real times. And only real people with real limitations and real mistakes can have a real relation to reality, a real personal relationship with God. But what does the Bible seek to teach then? If it is a map, what is it a map of? And again, in what sense of that is it the word of God? Now in our previous episodes, we suggested that a person who brings forth truth, goodness, and meaning, and makes the world more truthful, just, and loving, embodies God who speaks, as far as that person can with their limitations anyway, And such a person reveals to that extent the personality, the character of reality that we relate as who, namely the person of God. Moreover, the voice within us that seems to represent such a person, a person we can strive to become more and more, is to an extent the voice of God who speaks within us. But the problem is, is that we aren't always moving toward that person who embodies God. Most of the time, we can't even recognize that person whether within us or in others. We don't speak the truth, bring forth good, and make our world just or loving all the time. In fact, sometimes we deliberately do the opposite, out of spite, pettiness, or cowardice, and sometimes the entire society may push us to do so. Even our quest for the good, our striving to hear God speak and follow through, Can become distorted by the parasitic evil that feeds off from what is good, by those who use it as a cover and pretext for their dark impulses, or even by those whose genuine strivings toward God was distorted by their sense of moral superiority, so that the kingdom of God they claimed to build was twisted into the empire of the devil instead. The Bible is composed of the stories and experiences of people who walk that difficult path, struggling to hear God speak, and to become the people that embody God who speaks within them. It tells of both their successes and their failures. And instead of simply presenting a set of rules or a teaching, the Bible presents thousands of years of case studies, Through the story of their lives and their struggles, the records of their prayers and psalms, the laws they set up and observed, the prophecies and messages they received, argued over, and confirmed, all of which eventually culminates in the perfect exemplar, the one who fully embodies God who speaks, who relates to God without failure, distortion, or deceit, the one Christians call Jesus Christ. But the Bible does not simply start with its perfect exemplar. Because to understand that exemplar, what he did, and why he did what he did, we need the examples of everyone else that led up to him. People like us, people who fail, and people who do partially well in varying degrees. And by showing where they failed, we can understand where Jesus did not, and most importantly, what that cost him and what that meant for all of us. Thus, according to Christianity, the map that the Bible draws is the long, long journey toward the person of Jesus. And the map is a mosaic, a mosaic where each piece is a person relating to God who spoke to them, a mosaic that Christians believe that the Spirit of God has put together one generation after another so that they converge upon that one man, Jesus, That is what Christianity means by saying that the Bible is the word of God. To better grasp this idea, let me contrast this Christian understanding of the Bible with a competing understanding of what a holy book is, held, for example, by our Muslim neighbors and colleagues. And colleague really is the appropriate word here. So, in Islam, their holy book, the Quran, is the word of God, recited into the Arabic, Their prophet Muhammad was tasked with reciting it, but it is the text that he recited which is the word of God. Thus, only this original Arabic recitation is the true Quran, which cannot be substituted. That is why if you translate what he recited, the translation is not the Quran, but only a translation. But for Christianity, a proper translation of the Bible from its original Hebrew and Greek is also the Bible. Your English Bible is the Bible, not merely a translation of the true Bible. It is a person of Jesus who is the Word of God. That is, for Christianity, it is a person who is the Word of God. Truth is embodied in a particular person, Jesus, who cannot be substituted. Whereas the Bible testifies to this Word of God. You can translate Jesus though. The person and character of the Jewish teacher in the 1st century Palestine who saved the world can be translated into an English-speaking person in a 21st century information age North America. Now the translation isn't Jesus himself. And we may make a terrible translation, though hopefully we'll make at least a somewhat passable one. Christianity calls those translations Christians, and the compilation of those translations is the church. And the Bible is a map and a guide to make that translation. The long, long journey to the person of Jesus in the Bible that happens over thousands of years is also the map of how an individual and a community may journey into a better and better translation of Jesus. That is a point that is being made in the second letter to Timothy in the New Testament Bible when it states all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work, which is, to simply put, become more like the person of Jesus to translate Him better into ourselves. And as you become a better translation, Christianity teaches better you will hear and embody God who speaks, until you come to truly know God, the infinite reality who speaks to you, who loves you beyond what you have ever imagined. And this lastly is why some laws and regulations seem to change from the Old Testament to the New, such as eating pork, or why the church's position on some moral or social issues shifted over the years. It is because the Bible, as the word of God, is more than a list of rules or teachings, but is rather a map composed of the lives of the real people who walked with God, culminating in the person of Jesus. And so, the laws and regulations in the Bible are understood as something that such persons brought forth as they interacted with God, something that was appropriate and needed in their society and time. And as we become the same kind of persons that they were, relating to God as they have, we may find that some of these laws, such as the one eating pork, uh, are no longer appropriate for our society and times, while some others, like loving your neighbors, are to be strengthened or even expanded. But details of that process will need to wait until we explore the Bible itself starting from the second season. Thank you for listening and staying with the series for the whole first season. There are a couple of more upcoming extra episodes to summarize and review this season and prime for the next, but this is the closing main episode. If you enjoyed the series so far, or found it helpful or interesting or insightful, please subscribe, follow or share. Also, please rate and review the series if you can do so on your platform. It will help with making the series visible to other potential listeners as we move forward. On that note, please stay tuned for the plans for the future season where we will explore the actual content of the Christian Bible and worldview. Until then, I will be waiting here.